Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. about Michigan and national politics, breaking news, and more. Come and come to this political point of view, of course. So call in now to participate in the discussion at 347-934-0185. You are listening to the music of independent artist, The Man. Michigan's top Politico podcast, period. Independent Underground Radio by welcoming our host, Monica R.W. to the show. Uh, welcome to Independent Underground Radio Live. Today is Wednesday, uh, 
the 19th. Yeah, it's already this month's going by so fast. This year is going by so fast. Um, the 19th of July, 2017. And we have a very packed show for you today. Just to let you know. Um, first of all, first things first, we're going to be interviewing a Michigan gubernatorial candidate, uh, Siri Tanjar. Um, really looking forward to interviewing him. Uh, going to talk about his candidacy, uh, some of the policies that uh, he may instill if he is actually uh, selected in the Democratic primary to be governor of Michigan. And he still has to, you know, face the Republican, whoever that may be. Um, and, you know, that, that over there is, is pretty packed, too. They, they have, you know, the current lieutenant, uh, I'm sorry, the current uh, attorney general, uh, Bill Schutte, not on duty. Uh, well, okay, he says he's on duty, but I don't know. Wait, sometimes he is. I don't know. But either way, Bill Schutte, not on duty. Uh, he's going to be running. And then Lieutenant Governor uh, Brian Kelly, who's trying to get him a little bit more uh, publicity by starting a, a petition drive in order to make a part-time legislature. Like, that makes any sense at all. No, seriously, it really doesn't. I mean, I know a lot of folks like, well, 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 if they're part-time, then, like, um, um, that means they're getting paid less. Well, uh, maybe, but then the same aspect, right? Do you want your legislature, I mean, I'm talking your state legislator, to really, really be, like, seriously part-time? Like, you know, they have to have a full-time job, right? And so then they have to drive back and forth to Lansing from wherever they are. In some cases, they're located way, 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 way up over by Iron Mountain. Other times, they're low, way, 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 way down uh, by, what's that, like Benton Harbor or Niles, Michigan. I mean, seriously. I mean, what if they're located on the other part of the state, like way down by Adrian? I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, this whole thing is ridiculous. They already do not. And I saw um, a news article out today. And if you're going to try and do a citizen's referendum um, to get on the ballot, the first thing you need to tell your circulators, right, you know, it's just, hey, Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly, talking to you, the first thing you might want to tell your circulators is to ensure that they are just being truthful about the uh, petitions that people want to sign, right? I mean, they shouldn't be telling people, this will get rid of lifetime health care for Michigan legislatures. When they don't have it now. I mean, that's been gone for like a while. You know what I'm saying? I would probably say at least, I don't know, about six, seven years or so. So Michigan legislatures, whoever serves in the Michigan legislature, uh, whether that's in the state house or state senate, they do not, repeat, do not have lifetime health care. Okay? It just, it's just not there. It's not there. It, it, it's not there anymore. So, like, if which I did see a news article today. It was on their line where the circulator was trying to get people to sign a part-time legislature petition of Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly. And it was a green sign with really bad handwriting that said, get rid of lifetime health care for legislature. So, you know, a person that would be walking up there thinking, oh, wow, that's what the petition drive is about. Yes, yeah, so sign. Yeah, here's my John Hancock. The only problem is, is that's not really what they're signing for because, you know, that's already done, over with, complete, nada. You know what I'm saying? Belito, and you, whoever, whoever it is, you know what I'm saying? Your state legislature, your state senator too. Whoever they are, they are not, repeat, not getting lifetime health care, okay? 
So you can throw that baby out with the bathwater. So the only thing that you, if you see a circulator circulating stuff that's, that's not true, please, the power of 10 times 100. Tell, this is why, you know, I'm using the platform of this podcast. Tell 10 of your friends so they can tell 100 so it will get to 1,000, 10,000 beyond that. And maybe since, you know, people aren't being truthful with the petition that they want people to sign for a citizen's referendum, maybe they just won't sign it at all, which is probably the best thing to do because, honestly, it makes no sense to have a part-time legislature. I'm just being honest. In my opinion, that's just dumb. Dumb, 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 you know what I'm saying? Because I don't want people that's deciding state business, you know, to be working full-time jobs somewhere else and have all types of conflicts of interest. Well, it's enough. It's enough already. It's enough already. All types of conflicts of interest, even more so, while they're sitting up there making laws to me in the state of Michigan. I just, I don't want it. And then what type of legislature are we just basically saying that we're going to have? We're going to have a legislature of people who can actually, like, like afford at this point to work part-time in the legislature while working a, a full-time job. That's really going to probably be, that's like 60, 70 hour weeks. So I'm more than that. I would probably say 110, 120. Most of these folks are going to be retired or even rich. Okay. Rich or retired. Okay. Because if you're young, you're a young person. There's a lot of young people serving in the state legislature right now. You're a young person, you know, and, and, and just say you're uh, mid twenties, uh, mid thirties, you know, I mean, it ain't going to be feasible for you. I wouldn't do it. You know, I got to go work 45 hours a week and then still drive up to Lansing. You got to drive up there to know where you at. Drive up to Lansing, go do bills, and then come back home and go back to work. Um, Unless you live like in Follaville or something like right around Ingram County, most folks there are not going to sign up to do that and going to stay rich, okay, or either retire. So that cuts out a lot of people that may have the potential and wherewithal to serve in the state legislature that can't that won't be able to do so. That's the problem. Then it also makes the government kind of change. You know, right now we have a government that, you know, the bills go to the, the state house, they go then they go to the state senate or vice versa, state senate, then down to the state house. The bills come together so it'll be one bill and then it goes up to the governor. Right? But it kind of makes the governor whoever he or she may be a super governor with a part-time legislature because it gives all the power to the executive branch, which in a democracy, I don't think we want to do that, which is kind of funny that the governor, Brian Kelly, I yes, 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 I'm going to say this again, is now supporting this now that he's running for governor because when he was like in the state legislature, he was against it. But think about that before you sign a petition for a part-time legislature. Just think about it, because all the motives around this is not all as free and clean as you think it may be. I just had to get on that, because I saw that sign. I'm like, oh, come on now. You're trying to get people to sign something. At least be truthful about it. Can you at least do that? Just be truthful. Okay? Mm. Anyway. Um, other news, this is kind of breaking news. Uh, John McCain, right? John McCain, he is the senator from Arizona. Uh, yeah, a Republican senator, been there for a long time. John McCain has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Now, if you remember, Mitch McConnell said, I think it was last week, because we, and yeah, so, so much stuff can happen around ACA and the Republicans repeal, replace, repeal, 
just get rid of it. We don't like what the black man did, so we just got a problem with it. We just don't like I mean, it's been so many versions of trying to repeal and replace ACA that I can't even keep up. But the last way that they were going to try the cruise amendment to just basically cut out a whole bunch of Medicaid and then just let it like fall apart in the state, that's pretty much what the last <laughs> proposal was. Well, they said they couldn't vote on that one because um, John McCain was, he had some type of brain bleed, right, above his eye. So because of that, they had to wait because they needed these 51 senators, and if John McCain was not there, I guess he wouldn't give them that one. Now, mind you, it was like 10 other ones that basically said, I don't know about this, right? But either way, I guess John McCain has been, you know, he got evaluated inside a hospital, and now John McCain has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. First things first, we want to send our best wishes to John McCain. Uh, regardless of party affiliation, to be diagnosed with a brain tumor is a horrible, horrible thing. And hopefully it is uh, benign and not malignant and not cancerous. We, we don't know at this point in time either way what it is, but we just hope it is benign, something they can do surgery on, and that is small because we want to wish the best. Uh, to John McCain, regardless, yes, it is good to wish wish uh, the best when someone's going through a medical situation, regardless of hot party. Yes, that's see, that's where we didn't kind of fell apart in our party party politics is that we forget that, regardless of the DNR, people are people too. You know what I'm saying? And and yeah, in this situation, John McCain, we do wish him the best. And then it also makes us reflect backwards, you know, and it, this is like really sad, but it makes us reflect backwards to um, Teddy Kennedy, because remember when the ACA fight was going on and, and Teddy Kennedy, the uh, liberal lion of the Senate, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and it was just a little bit before the ACA fight, but in the same aspect, it was through that time in the Senate, and he came uh, and, and cast a, a, a vote, or maybe more than one, I think it was even more than one vote, in order to pass ACA. And not too long thereafter, um, Ted Kennedy passed on. And so it, it's, it's ironic that another member of the Senate during a healthcare fight, right, uh, has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. I, I, you would think that that would make people think that healthcare is important for all Americans, and so all Americans should be able to have healthcare and not chop up healthcare. That's what you would hope that things like this would do, you know. But we got Trump in office, so that did kind of, you know, we may feel like that. I think it's like 50% of the American public, like, please, Trump, please, Cheeto, don't mess with ACA, don't mess with it. Okay, but he ain't listening because he's about to get ready to fire some folks. It, we'll get to that later on in the hour. That's some more breaking news. But uh, I guess he don't like Jeff Sessions no more, even though Jeff Sessions kind of put his whole coat down. You know, it's like somebody put your coat down. You know, you take off your suit coat and you lay it down on the ground to let somebody walk over it. That was Jeff Sessions in the campaign of Donald Trump. He was letting Tito Trump walk all over his suit coat. But I guess now, since he did the right thing and recused himself in a Russian investigation, I guess that Trump is, like, pissed off at Jeff Sessions. And he wants to fire Robert Mueller, too, because he said he investigated his like, finances outside of Russia. He going to have a problem with Cheeto. Okay, so we're going to talk about all that in the second hour. That's how much stuff has came up. I mean, it's just, like, information flowing every day.
right? I hope you listened to independent. I mean, I'm sorry, Penny's Politics last night with host Penny Sapoya. If you did not get a chance to do that, I would highly suggest that you do. You can always listen into our archive files here on the Block Talk Radio Network. If you got our app, which is available, that's Independent Underground Radio Network app, which is available on Google Play and the Apple Store. Just search for Independent Underground Radio Network. You can get the shows immediately, immediately after they air. Immediately, immediately. Right, so you want to get the app because it helps support the network. It's only two ninety nine. Support the network, support our host. Get the app on Google Play and also at the Apple Store. Uh, but if you you had the chance to listen to Penny's show last night, uh, that was, it was a great show. Uh, also, make sure you tune in Friday for Constitutionally Speaking with Autumn Smith, which is at twelve o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and Third Wave Feminism uh, with Jenny and Diane, which is coming on this Saturday. At 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 12 o'clock, that's 12 o'clock, uh, make sure I emphasize this, 12 o'clock <laughs> Central Time, okay? So those are the shows on the Independent Ground Radio Network, and we will have an announcement about a new show coming on next week. Just real quick, and then I'll be quiet and get to work with Independent News and get to uh, this great interview that we do have with uh, uh, the candidate for Michigan governor, uh, Democratic primary candidate, uh, Thierry Tanjar. Um, but in the same aspect, one more thing I do have to make sure that you know about, Michigan Renaissance tickets are coming. They are coming. We're doing it again. We'll explain more throughout the program today. So feel free to call in 347-934-0185, 347-934-0185. You can also tweet to us at IU News Talk, at IU News Talk. You can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU. I said IU News Talk, didn't I? I'm sorry. You got to tweet to us at IU Radio Network. Again, IU Radio Network. And you can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Okay? So with that, we're going to play the latest information from Workers Independent News. And then after we do so, we will have our interview um, and have uh, Siri Tanjar, the candidate, Democratic candidate for Michigan governor, the newest announced candidate, by the way, uh, on to the show. And we're definitely looking forward to that. So. Workers Independent News starting not in a couple minutes or 10 minutes, but right now. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. The American Federation of Teachers, Labor Leaders from other unions, and members of Congress are rallying on Capitol Hill Wednesday to oppose education cuts and efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. AFT members and others will lobby members of Congress after the rally. American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten says as her union defends public education from charter school privatization attacks, it's only part of a much bigger David and Goliath struggle over public sector services. Weingarten says what's happening on a range of issues is that the public sector itself and the very idea of public not-for-profit institutions is under assault from those who want to turn everything into unregulated private for-profit markets. We are in a David versus Goliath struggle with the people who believe that through solidarity and through some social contract that goes back to the founding of America, there are certain things that we do together to make America safe and to increase quality of life. 
One is public security. One is public education. I would argue that that, that health care is part of that, too. Weingarten says working people need health care and a dependable social safety net. We need to make sure that they have a safety net. We need to make sure that their health care is there and that they are not one illness away from bankruptcy. Speaking on MSNBC, North Carolina NAACP President Reverend William Barber said that the recent laying on of hands and prayers by the Christian right for Donald Trump in the Oval Office borders on heresy. Reverend Barber says it's religious hypocrisy to pray for people who are hurting the poor. It is a form of theological malpractice that borders on heresy. When you can P-R-A-Y for a president and others while they are P-R-E-Y praying on the most vulnerable, you are violating the most sacred principles of religion. Reverend Barber quoted biblical text to underscore his point. There's a text in Amos chapter 2 that says religious and moral hypocrisy looks like when a nation of political leaders will buy and sell upstanding people, when they will do anything to make money, when they will sell the poor for a pair of shoes, when they will grind the penniless into the dirt and shove the luckless into the ditch and extort from the poor. That's an actual text. There's a text that says when you do not care for the sick, you are actually violating the principles of God. For more labor news, check out our new website at workersindependentnews.com. Workers Independent News is proud to be heard on The Union Edge, Labor's talk radio. Live nationwide weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. at theunionedge.com. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. You're listening to WIN, Workers Independent News, a diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. On August 3rd and 4th, Nissan workers in Canton, Mississippi, will vote on whether or not to join the United Auto Workers. This NLRB vote has been years in the making, and the Nissan workers are being subjected to a very aggressive anti-union campaign from Nissan that includes anti-union videos, playing in the plant, and forced meetings, including one-on-one meetings with Nissan supervisors, where workers are subjected to fear and intimidation tactics by the employer. Nissan worker Christopher Milton. Fear, intimidation, even racism is part of that plant every day. We go through a lot of that. Put fear on the workers, we can control them. But they don't ever give us a, a fair chance to say, you know, why we need a union. We need a voice at this plant. And the intimidation and the fear, it, it really needs to stop. They, they should have no part of telling anybody it's wrong to have a union. It's bad for you. you you're going to lose your job. You're going to close the plant. All of that is just a big lie. Dion Monroe says her boss has threatened that organizing a union will lead to pay cuts and worse. He told me that if the unions come to Nissan, that y'all pay going to be cut or the pet might close. All we want is a fair election without the intimidation and the threats. Wade Cox echoes his co-worker on their desire for a free and fair union election at Nissan. We just ask them that we have an opportunity to have a fair and free election, free from intimidation, free from threats. The UAW says it's filing another round of unfair labor practice complaints against Nissan with the National Labor Relations Board. An innovative community benefits agreement in Los Angeles is creating a robust program to create more job opportunities for people who need it the most. Jobs to Move America is partnering with BYD Company to build electric buses in the city of Lancaster in Los Angeles County. Jobs to Move America includes the AFL-CIO, SMART, the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers Union, IBEW, IAM, and the Blue-Green Alliance. 
Jobs to Move America's Erica T. Patterson says there will be hundreds of good union jobs building buses with zero emissions into the environment, a community benefits model that could be embraced by companies nationwide. This is an example of what we would like to see from all companies in this industry, a real commitment to not only invest in cleaning up our environment, but creating opportunities and career pathways for people who need these jobs most. And we look forward to working with transit agencies that are interested in incorporating incentives to promote this kind of partnership between business, labor, and community. WIN is brought to you in part by the Amalgamated Transit Union, the largest labor union representing transit and allied workers in the U.S. and Canada. Online at atu.org. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. Independent Underground News and Talk and Independent Underground uh, Radio Network. Advanced Auto Parts is offering 20% off of your first order. Now, to save 20% off your first order, go to www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Again, www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network to save 20% off of your first order. And make sure that you put in AAT20 cash for the savings. Now, did you know that Advanced Auto Parts have been in business over 75 years and has helped the nation's do-it-yourselfers fix their vehicles? Advanced Auto Parts is also your source for quality auto parts, advice, and accessories. So go ahead and get your 20% off today of your first order at advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And make sure you put in the code AAT20CAST for your 20% savings. Into Independent Underground Radio Live. Uh, again, this is a the first hour of our program, and we are happy to welcome on to our show today Siri Tandar. He is a jobs creator, scientist, entrepreneur, and best-selling author. He immigrated in 1979 and became a United States citizen in 1988. He wrote his memoirs in Marathi. Uh, which became a best-selling autobiography that inspired thousands of people, including young people. He wrote his memoirs in English, titled The Blue Suitcase at the Urging of President Bill Clinton. Siri has overcome many hurdles in life. He lost his first wife in 1996 and raised his sons, then ages four and eight, as a single parent. He also suffered losses in the recession, including losing his home to foreclosure. Now, Siri has a MS, uh, B.S. and also Ph.D. degrees in chemistry and an MBA in management. He has started and grown many businesses, creating hundreds of jobs. Now, his last venture was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which won him the awards of Entrepreneur of the Year, Inc. 5000, fastest growing companies in the USA, and 50 Michigan companies to watch. With that, we welcome on Siri to today's Independent Underground Radio Live show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, my name is Shri. Sorry. Okay, Sorry. Okay, thank you very much. I just want to make sure I'm having that pronunciation correctly. Um, and I read your autobiography, so uh, did you have anything that you wanted to add on for our listeners today? Uh, well, yeah, I think you uh, introduced me very well, and thank you so much for that. Uh, I you know, have lived a, a tough life, 
when I was 14 years old, my father was forced to retire from his job. And then I started doing multiple jobs during high school and college to support my family and help my family come out of uh, poverty. So I f feel that I have uh, been in the shoes and I've lived the life of many people today who are struggling to put food on the table and take care of their children and raise a family while working. And some of um, what I want to do uh, as a, a candidate for governor of Michigan is to make sure our economy works for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure it's an inclusive um, economy uh, and not just uh, for the top few. Well, thank you for that. That's for sure. And, and Michigan has been through his, its share of struggles, um, starting, I would probably say, uh, recently in uh, 2006 and all the way up until 2014. Some people will still say that we're going through a recession in Michigan. Uh, some people have not uh, been, back, been able to gain back the losses that they experienced. Uh, from the housing crisis and also from the fact that Michigan had uh, the top rate of unemployment inside of our state from about 2009 all the way up until 2013. Um, now, I guess my question is, as governor, uh, what would be your plans to address that? In other words, the Michiganers that have been left behind by the recession uh, that are still trying to get back into the economy and still trying to get their feet back uh, stable. Well, my focus is going to be more uh, towards small businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, small businesses create more than 50% of Michigan's jobs. And I want to create a culture of entrepreneurship. I want to help small business create jobs. I want to make sure that the minimum wage is raised to $15 an hour okay. so people can live with dignity. Sherry, there is a jobs crisis that is going on in Michigan, uh, and particularly the jobs crisis is more about people that are trying to get back inside of the economy uh, that still, for one reason or the other, um, have not been able to fully uh, participate inside of the economic gains that uh, have taken place over the past two, three years. How would you address this issue? Um, because a lot of Michiganians suffer from this, and, and they don't feel as if their wages um, have either, if they do have a job, have kept pace uh, with the cost of living, or if they don't have a job and is looking for one, they feel like those jobs are at a lesser rate than what it was they previously earned. Today in Michigan, there are about 65,000 skilled jobs that are unfilled. And our current um, governor's focus is on giving tax incentives and uh, other monies for large corporations, billion-dollar corporations to come to Michigan and create jobs. However, we need to invest that money into training and providing the trade skills and the vocational skills to Michiganders so they would be ready. And a business is better served to have skilled employment available. Because I have ran businesses. I've ran small mm -hmm. businesses. 
all my life. Okay. And one of the biggest challenge is to find skilled workers. Okay. And I think it's more important that we use that, repurpose that money, uh, giving that as a free gift to big corporations. We should use that money to train our people. We should use that money to make uh, vocational and trade school much more affordable. We need to build partnership between uh, skilled uh, uh, workers and uh, uh, young uh, students uh, to make uh, um, skilled workforce available for our growth into the 21st century. Okay. Um, and, and some people will say that uh, Michigan in general has not been a, uh, I guess you could say, a focus on entrepreneurship type state. I know you have an MBA. I have an MBA. I do believe uh, that one of the best ways that you can always protect yourself against the economy is by is by fostering that entrepreneurship skill that some people have, but in the same aspect, they don't have the resources, especially when it comes to small business loans, in order to try and expand uh, the ideas or better yet, even the new uh, uh, ideas that they have inside uh, that can go and build and bring new resources here inside of Michigan and to our economy. Uh, so would you say that if you were elected, would you consider yourself to be a entrepreneurship, a uh, small business entrepreneurship type of governor? Uh, and, and if so, uh, what ways do you think that that title would serve you? I think, the yeah, absolutely. I will be the champion of small business. I want to make sure entrepreneurship uh, is something that Michigan celebrates, mm -hmm. and I want to make Michigan the startup capital of the United States. Oh. You know, uh, there's no reason our young people have to leave Michigan to achieve their American dream. I came to Michigan in 1982, and I got my first job at the University of Michigan, and that's where I started dreaming about my American dream. Mm -hmm. And then when I lost uh, everything in the recession of the 2008-2010, I came back to Michigan and I started a small business from nothing and grew that to a 50 high paying jobs. And so I know what it is, how hard it is for a person to start a business. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to, the state needs to provide uh, um, and help in terms of getting loans. Uh, we need to provide a mentorship. We need to provide counseling uh, and assistance. Um, I met a young man, Peter, and he wants to start an advertising and PR agency uh, in uh, downtown Detroit. And, uh, uh, you know, he needs uh, help. And a lot of times... Our government, Michigan government, is so focused on cutting big deals for larger corporations, and the little person is uh, is forgotten mm -hmm. and doesn't get the kind of help that he or she needs to start their first business. And could it be a grocery store or a uh, mom and pop restaurant somewhere? Mm -hmm. Whatever their skills are. And whatever their dreams are, they should be able to do it right here in Michigan. They do not have to leave our state to go achieve their dreams. 
Okay. All right. And I agree with that. And I and uh, definitely um, moving Michigan towards a more small business friendly state instead of large business friendly state uh, would be one of the goals of the future. I think that would be uh, a way to reinvent Michigan and to get a lot of people that uh, are still suffering from the recession uh, back into our economy. Uh, I wanted to uh, change subjects uh, just slightly uh, and, and talk about basically um, uh, might as well say PAC money. Um, unfortunately, our laws recently changed in Michigan that it will allow for more uh, big businesses, uh, large money donors, in order to contribute inside of elections and also basically not really disclose uh, what it is that they're contributing to candidates. Uh, this this makes it hard for uh, individuals on the local level, hyper-local level here in Michigan, and even inside of maybe even your race, in order to compete uh, fairly, especially considering that you have, you know, uh, these large corporations, these large individual donors uh, giving money to candidates that may not have the best interests of uh, Michiganiers, it ju they just may have the interests of that large donor or that large business donor. What are your thoughts about that in order to, uh, at least if nothing else, have more proper disclosure uh, when it comes to who's giving what to what candidates? Uh, Monica, you ask a very good question, and that is something that uh, has bothered me considerably. Uh, the influence of uh, dark money into our politics and our government must stop. Mm -hmm. And there must be full disclosure of where the money is coming from. Uh, you know, there is a, a pay-for-play culture in Lansing that I want to destroy. Mm -hmm. You know, there is just way too much um, influenced by uh, the billionaire, billionaire families onto our politicians and the corporations have a lot of influence and the lobbyists. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we need to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, our, our politicians um, don't have their allegiance to the donors, the big donors, the lobbyists, and the dark money. And that is uh, something that I am extremely concerned about. The, uh, you know, the traditional cookie cutter say, uh, say uh, politicians have their relationships with these donors and lobbyists and the dark money. And then guess what? When they come to uh, to power, uh, it's time for payback. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the people's interest aren't become secondary. And now uh, the lobbyists get their um, uh, service back from these politicians. And that, that vicious cycle, that cycle has to stop. And we got to put an end to that. And uh, therefore, uh, you know, I'm all for uh, full disclosure. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for uh, getting the dark money, the, the back dark money out of politics. 
Okay. Well, yeah, and I know uh, if we go back to uh, the beginning of uh, Governor Snyder's administration, uh, one of the things that were uh, that that created a lot of uh, questions um, among a lot of Michiganiers uh, was his One Tough Nerve Fund, which is basically it was set up as a nonprofit. Um, but the question was, was that nonprofit monies being funneled uh, into well, the money inside that nonprofit was actually being used by some, again, large money donors and some corporations in order to ensure that uh, their interests were uh, put first um, before Michiganiers' interests. Uh, I guess when it comes to, you know, nonprofits or uh, supposed nonprofits and also uh, political uh, organizations or motivations, do you believe that basically that candidates and also so even gubernatorial candidates, uh, should they or should they not be running nonprofit organizations at the same time that they're serving the people? It, it almost seems like a, a oxymoron. Well, it is a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, uh, major um, candidates today, whether it's the attorney general or the lieutenant governor, they all have um, a, a leadership pack here mm -hmm. or some sort of uh, uh, organization of 527 or some such uh, organization on the side that they collect money from. Mm -hmm. uh, Attorney General, who has not even announced uh, his candidacy, has done, is continuously doing fundraisers. Right. And, you know, the very first fundraiser he had was when he got elected as Attorney General for his second term. And he was term limited, so clearly he was not standing for another election for attorney general. Mm -hmm. But he was collecting money in Washington, D.C., and he was collecting money all over the country. And uh, makes you wonder, makes you wonder, uh, these uh, people who are in government, who are very powerful, uh, and who is giving money to them, and why are they giving money to these politicians? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the motivation, and what's the payoff? And I, I'm really concerned, and recently the uh, lieutenant governor raised, I believe, half a million dollars for some kind of a advertising campaign. Um, and again, I, I, I wonder about these uh, money and who is giving these money and what are they getting in return for? Yeah, that's that's a fair question. Uh, yeah, definitely. And and uh, hopefully in the future, yeah, obviously, if you're elected governor or any Democratic uh, candidate is elected governor, they will uh, make a vow in order to change the way that campaign finance and also 527's PACs are done in Michigan. Uh, would you be? Would you uh, make that vow in order to try and clean up uh, Michigan's campaign finance laws? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I think the dark money has to go. We need to, uh, uh, you know, shorten these uh, election cycles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People are announcing candidacies two years in advance, and fundraising has starts. Like uh, the front runner in the Democratic Party has collected a million dollars from uh, uh, January when she announced the election to uh, her uh, her candidacy to uh, you know June of uh, this uh, this year. Oh, hmm. uh, more than a year before the election uh, primary election is even going to happen. So the money that's coming in uh, and the long. Uh, election cycle 
is requiring a, a need for a lot of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to shorten these cycles. Uh, there has to be a lot more of a debate uh, on issues. Right. Uh, more maybe television debate, debates, uh, maybe um, uh, public television, uh, but uh, newspapers. There could be need to have much more of a discussion of issues mm-hmm. and uh, discussion between the candidates so that voters can look at uh, the candidates. And uh, we need to uh, reduce the need for a huge amount of money to get elected. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, I wanted to switch the topic a little bit into infrastructure. Um, as you know, uh, Michigan Roads and, and also infrastructure itself uh, is in need of dire repair, whether we're talking about the uh, situation that happened with the uh, Flint water crisis or whether we're talking about the sinkhole situation in Warren, Michigan and Macomb County, uh, or whether we're talking about just driving down most Michigan roads anytime after uh, the winter break uh, and, and having to deal with potholes. Uh, Michigan infrastructure is, in uh, our opinion, way behind the times and need to actually get fixed and, and, uh, and repaired across the state. Uh, what is your, uh, I guess you say, policy stance as it relates to uh, the infrastructure here in Michigan? And particularly, I, I, I wanted to see uh, what was your stance on in regards to what happened with the Flint water crisis. Uh, what would you have done differently as governor uh, in order to um, either avoid the situation if you could or better yet try and make sure uh, if you were governor uh, that you uh, was able to address the situation in a manner earlier than our current governor Rick Snyder did? Uh, a very good question. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a chemist. I have a PhD in chemistry. Uh, I am a scientist. And I look at issues more, not on an emotional basis, not on a partition basis, not on a, um, you know, uh, ideology basis, but I look at things as a scientist. Mm -hmm. I look at the data, I look at the facts, and I make objective, practical, uh, pragmatic, um, common sense uh, decisions. That's what uh, I would offer. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as far as the Flint situation is concerned, you know, uh, our cities generate uh, 70 plus percent of the GDP uh, of Michigan. And uh, the distribution, the revenue uh, collection by cities and the Lansing's, uh, uh, you know, contribution to the cities uh, needs to be relooked at. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens here is that uh, uh, we let cities fail, cities like Flint and Detroit fail because they get starved for revenues. And when that happens, uh, this uh, governor has put emergency managers in charge of the cities. Now, remember, the emergency managers have no control over revenue generation. Mm-hmm. All they can do is cut cost. And that's exactly what happened in Flint. For a meager $150,000 savings, we ended up, the government ended up poisoning uh, hundreds and thousands of children and adults mm-hmm. with lead. And now all this happened because uh, focus was more on the bottom line, and we cannot run the state like a business. Mm-hmm. state is not a business. 
we need to take care of people. We cannot look at decisions based on dollars and cents, but it is people's lives are involved. Mm-hmm. The emergency managers make decisions purely based on bottom line. We have an accountant for a governor, and uh, he believes you can run people's lives with spreadsheets and uh, bottom line, and we cannot. And in Flint, uh, I understand the science of it, and I this would have never happened under my watch. But you know when mistakes can happen, but when this was uncovered, it took months before our government to do anything about it. Now, if this has happened in Bloomfield Hills, perhaps that city would have gotten an attention quicker mm-hmm. than Flint, Michigan did. Right, and, and yeah, and not to interrupt you, but I, I'm hearing already that uh, the uh, sinkhole in Warren is not only not only being addressed by state dollars, but also uh, in the process of being fixed. Uh, uh, I'm assuming within the next couple of months when Flint has been as the situation that hit, it has uh, since probably late 2014, and they're still waiting to get all the pipes in the ground. They're trying to do anywhere from, I think, 18,000 pipes. I think they're somewhere near 6,000. They still have work to do. So when you talk yeah. about the disparities, yeah, go ahead. And at this pace, you know, it's going to take maybe 10 plus years to take care of Flint mm-hmm. and to replace all of the supply lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's no way to serve the people of Flint. You know, they, they still don't have access to clean water. Uh, you know, some of them are driving uh, 20 miles to do their laundry. Mm-hmm. And this is totally unacceptable. And uh, there is no plan. Uh, or at the current pace, uh, we won't take care of uh, the people of Flint for another 10 plus years. And that is totally unacceptable. And we need to find innovative uh, approaches. Uh, and now it's all got caught, up, uh, caught up with, uh, uh, you know, partisan politics. Mm-hmm. And there is not much work done because there is just infighting as opposed to focus on getting the right thing and getting the things done. You know, my focus uh, is I'm not a, you know, people of Michigan are tired of partitionships and uh, ideological fights. People want results. People want things done. And I have, you know, no loyalty to any donors, big donors mm-hmm. or lobbyists or uh, large corporations. I'm going to go there and work for the people. And I will, I'm going to take decisions that are the right thing to do based on the facts and based on the evidence and based on uh, uh, my, uh, you know, consultation with experts, not the lobbyists. Okay, that's great. Uh, I wanted to ask you a, cu- a couple other questions as it relates to state government, and particularly the issue of privatization. Um, I, I'm sure, as you know, uh, a number of functions in our state government has has been privatized or either uh, given to uh, private corporations, and the results have not been positive. Uh, it, it, in re- uh, let's go with the uh, 
unemployment crisis in regards to uh, charging state residents with fraud uh, about unemployment that had happened in 2013 all the way up to uh, 2016. Uh, that was privatized out by to a, a corporation uh, by Governor Snyder and, and also his UIA. It turns out that uh, the fraudulent claims, 95% of those fraudulent claims were fraud themselves and, and, the, and the individuals were not trying to uh, muster up any fraud or do any fraud to UIA. Uh, they were just trying to receive benefits. Uh, whether we talk about basically in the correction system, uh, the food service contracts, which have been privatized out, uh, used to be state workers there, but now it's, it's to a private corporation. Uh, it actually is on a third private corporation because the other two had issues with uh, their uh, contract employees having fraudulent with prisoners and bringing in contraband inside of our prisons. Um, I guess my question is, uh, especially considering that you are a, 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 uh, a, a was and have been a business owner, uh, do you believe that privatization uh, is the uh, panacea to solve issues in state government, or do you believe the opposite? And if so, why? Well, you know, uh, some use of contractors uh, is necessary. Mm -hmm. We need to find a specialized um, a private companies that can, uh, uh, you know, execute some uh, some situations, some uh, contracts. But you know, there needs to be a good monitoring. There has to be accountability mm -hmm. when we hire a private uh, company to do a serv service uh, the people of Michigan. Uh, now, two things happen. One is uh, often the contracts are given to uh, special people who have, you know, been a lobbyist or uh, companies that have donated money to politicians. Uh, the criteria, there needs to be much more uh, transparency and good ethics. And these are the two areas that the current uh, government in Lansing lacks. Uh, mm -hmm. We have not seen the level of transparency uh, that is necessary. Secondly, um, the uh, freedom of information. Uh, is, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the legislators are excluded from that, mm -hmm. which is not acceptable. Their behavior, the deals that they make, the contracts that they award have to be uh, transparent to the people of Michigan who have hired them to do this, their jobs. So we need to have, uh, first of all, a very fair, a transparent system in choosing contractors. And then once we choose the contractors, there has to be uh, monitoring and uh, hold them accountable um, that uh, the taxpayers' money is spent wisely. And that is something that I will ensure happens under my administration. Okay, all right. Um, and, and I also wanted to ask you in regards to, uh, I know that speaking of prisons, uh, we, in the 90s, a big expansion uh, took place in Michigan's prison system uh, to the point that in the federal, uh, I'm sorry, in the state budget, uh, pretty much 95% of that budget is used towards uh, corrections and, and basically locking people up and keeping them locked up. Uh, and in and I guess my question and, and what I would like to ask of you is 
community corrections, uh, trying to, to get people uh, more opportunities in order to get treatment instead of getting incarcerated, uh, um, not using um, fines and fees as a prison to pipeline entry uh, in order to get people caught up in the system. And from there, obviously, they end up getting higher penalties in some, and in a lot of cases, jail and also prison time. Uh, what, what are your thoughts in regards to changing uh, our methodology on corrections in order to lock up the people, obviously, that need to be locked up, violent criminals, but low-level uh, crimes, try and figure out if we can do more community corrections in order to keep people out of the system. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. We, you know, Michigan as a state spends way too much money on correction. Mm -hmm. I believe our correction budget is uh, uh, in excess of $2 billion. Um, we need to, uh, you know, there is, we need to keep Michigan safe. Mm -hmm. We need to keep um, uh, criminals, violent criminals, uh, uh, locked up. And uh, there has to be, um, you know, uh, safety of Michiganders is utmost. However, uh, a lot of money has been spent on, um, um, you know, locking up people that really need to be given a second chance. Mm -hmm. uh, non-violent um, criminals, non—you uh, know—people that uh, are in the jail because of uh, non-payment of debt, say for example. Mm -hmm. um, some category of uh, uh, prisoners they can be better served by, uh, in an alternate way, where we need to help them, uh, um, uh, you know, acquire skills, uh, uh, be gainfully, so that they can be gainfully employed and uh, stay away from, uh, uh, you know, some of uh, the criminal behavior. And so it needs to be looked at it more on a humane level. It needs to be looked at it more on a practical basis. And uh, we need to think through long term is how do we rehab uh, the people? Um, how do we give them resources? To, for them to be able to live a, a meaningful life and a life where they could contribute uh, to the community and how the community can help them, uh, you know, improve their lives and uh, overall bring safety to, to the community. Okay. Uh, I wanted to take this last, the last couple of questions in order to ask you about the state of Michigan's education system, especially as it comes to K-12, but even beyond uh, K-12 and our, our collegiate system. Uh, Michigan used to be ranked uh, within the top t uh, 10, 10, might as well, uh, 10, there we go, sorry about that, uh, states in order to obtain an education across the nation. Uh, now we're running somewhere in the area around, uh, if I have it correct, 36 and falling. And uh, the question has been that uh, Michigan also has expanded charter school education during this time, uh, lessened the amount, especially beyond uh, K-12, of state assistance that can go to students trying to obtain education. Uh, it seems as if Michigan's education and our children and even our young people, our millennials, uh, have been put for sale to the highest bidder, uh, and that policy needs to change in order to focus on education first and producing results as in children in the classroom being able to pursue and, and fill their dreams, uh, whatever it is that they want to do inside of the uh, their job market or entrepreneurship. 
what are what is your education policy? How how do you feel about charter schools? How do you feel about the lessening amount of state aid in order for children and uh, millennials in order to go to college? What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, our education system is broken. Mm-hmm. If we get if we strengthen our public schools, our communities will be stronger. Mm-hmm. And the charter schools have hurt. Uh, the uh, our public schools when uh, the charter school takes away selected people from the public school now the public school is left with children who are hard to teach and what that does is puts a higher burden on the public school uh, we need to ensure that uh, first we need to raise our funding for education we are one of the, our funding for education is one of the lowest in uh, uh, many states in the United States. And uh, we need to uh, think about, uh, we need to think about, um, uh, you know, we need to put more money into public school. You know, I met uh, two teachers, uh, Rachel and Judy, uh, from Farmington District, and they had tears in their eyes when they were talking to me about uh, the bureaucracy that they have to go through, the testing that happens, and how they are all focused about getting test scores, because that's how they are judged, Hmm. Um, and not real education to the students. Uh, We need to, uh, you know, uh, we need to take, uh, you know, respect our teachers, uh, we need to make sure that we pay our teachers fairly. And, uh, you know, Judy was telling me that her salary hadn't changed for the last 12 years. Yeah. And we have currently uh, 10,000-plus uh, vacancies, teacher vacancies, in the uh, Detroit Public School. And we need to pay our teachers fairly. We need to respect them. We need to allow them to be in front of uh, children more than uh, being doing uh, paperwork and doing bureaucracy. We need to make, um, uh, you know, if we don't uh, keep our promise to our children, uh, then we are not going to be ready for the 21st century. And uh, we want to make sure that no corporations profit from education, educating our children. So we need to uh, hold uh, the charter schools accountable, and we need to give more money to public school compared to charter schools because the public school has a higher burden and a higher workload uh, that they need to do. Mm-hmm. And we need to really fund so that uh, I've seen some teachers using their own personal money to buy supplies for their schools. And that should not have to happen. The state uh, must uh, fund education, and uh, we have to ensure that our children get quality education and prepares them for the 21st century. Definitely. And um, one last follow-up question as it relates to education. Um, I know that K-12 is the online education provider, uh, has been allowed uh, in Michigan since uh, the administration of Governor Rick Snyder. However, their uh, results on their performance have been abysmal in regards to trying to teach children on an online basis uh, the uh, information needed in order to be able to uh, advance on in the K-12 educational system. Uh, Do you believe uh, that children in Michigan need to have 
uh, online education versus basically being in the classroom, being around their peers, being around other children, being in the, fa- in, the, in the face of a teacher where the teacher can monitor their performance and also try and improve their academic performance versus being online sitting at a computer. What are your thoughts about that? I think the children need to be in the classroom. They need to be able to interact with other children. And they need to, you know, there's a lot that they can learn from each other. They can lot they can learn by working in teams and working on projects together. Uh, so, uh, so I certainly prefer uh, strengthening our public school system. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to do everything possible to ensure that the public schools are able to give quality education to our children. Definitely. All right. Well, if, if, if uh, I guess the ending question that we can ask you today is that obviously it is a crowded democratic field, uh, and there are many candidates running on various positions to try and be Michigan's next governor and also basically to be the winner in the Democratic primary. Why should they elect you? What is it special about you, and why is it that you have the capabilities in order to fill this huge task of being Michigan's next governor? Uh, thank you for asking that. Uh, again, my name is Shri Tanidar. I am a small business owner. I run small businesses. Uh, I have education has been a ladder for me in uh, um, getting out of poverty for me and my family. I understand the importance of education. I have been a job creator. I understand running small businesses, creating jobs. I understand entrepreneurship and I understand startup culture. And this is really what the focus needs to be. We need to, I will move the focus away from large corporation welfare to investing in human capital and investing in people of Michigan. I will not be beholden to the lobbyists and the dark money and the corporations. Uh, I will work for the people. And that is something uh, you will not find uh, in many of the other candidates who are in the political system, who are career politicians, uh, having established relationships with corporations and dark money. And I will free Michigan from from the pay-for-play culture, and I will make sure that we take care of the people's issues. We solve problems with common sense and practical problem-solving, pragmatic problem-solving. Because, you know, I have lived as a single parent. Uh, I have lived in poverty. I understand the importance of education. I understand the importance of giving people uh, the chance to help themselves and uh, achieve their American dreams. And that's the reason I sold my business so that I can full-time campaign. I work 80 hours a week campaigning because I am unknown. I'm not very well known in Michigan. Um, uh, You know, I look different, I speak different, uh, but I will also be a different kind of a governor, uh, a governor that Michigan never had, all focused on issues of Michigan, making good, solid, fact-based, decisions uninfluenced by the lobbyist and the dark money. 
Well, I would probably say you're the first uh, candidate for governor that actually gave $1.5 million to his employees uh, because of the work that they did to make uh, your company. Uh, and that sets you apart in our eyes at Independent Underground Radio Live uh, because it, it, employers should appreciate the work that uh, their employees put in in order to make their company successful. So I just wanted to make sure that we gave you a shout out on that. I appreciate that, and I urge your listeners to visit my website, shri2018.com, S-H-R-I-2018.com, where I have outlined many of the issues uh, that I will be working on and I'm focusing on. I appreciate people's support. Uh, my name is Shri Tanidar. Uh, don't, if you can overlook how I look and how I talk, and look at my policies and my uh, my beliefs and uh, you know my sincerity and transparency and ethics and integrity that I bring to this job of the governor. Uh, I am sure Michiganders will choose me as their next governor. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Independent Underground Radio Live today. Continue to listen in uh, into our second hour of today's show. We have more information and news for you. Again, if you have, if you'd like to give us some thoughts, you can do that after the commercial break on this interview at three four seven nine three four zero one eight five. You can also hit us up on Twitter at IU Radio Network on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU Radio Network, and we will be right back in just a moment. Show your support for the Independent Underground Radio Network, which has been podcasting strong since 2010 with over 4.5 million downloads and over 700 episodes with our affiliate network of shows, including Constitutionally Speaking with host Adam Smith, Third Wave Feminism with host Jenny and Diane, Penny's Politics with host Penny Sequoia, and our flagship show, Independent Underground Radio Live with host Monica R.W. So how can you show that support? By going to get the Independent Underground Radio Network app for just $2.99 at Google Play or the Apple Store. Just go and put in the search for Independent Underground Radio Network on Google Play or at the Apple Store and download a version of our app in order to have all of our affiliate network of shows right on your phone, your tablet, computer, or whenever you want to listen to them by streaming live of the Independent Underground Radio Network. Remember, just go to Google Play or the Apple Store. Search for Independent Underground Radio Network and download a version of our app on your phone for just $2.99 today and show your support for the best in independent life political anywhere in the world at the Independent Underground Radio Network. It's Tuesday, July 18, 2017. This happened so quickly, uh, the crews um, had no opportunity to really fight the fire. Raging wildfires in British Columbia forced nearly 40,000 to evacuate. Trump administration reduces royalty payments on offshore drilling. Energy Department's electric grid study contradicts claims by the energy secretary. Plus... Clean air, clean water, clean soil, that's where we get our food. It is what we live from. Catholic nuns build outdoor chapel to block natural gas pipeline. They're having none of it. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and 
snarky comment. We have nearly 100 years worth of natural gas and more than 250 years worth of clean beautiful coal and several million years of actually clean actually beautiful sunshine which you would know mr president if you looked up every now and again from your meetings with the fossil fuel industry this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't know that this could possibly be a good omen, but I see that Tropical Storm Don is now forming in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> yes, it is. That can't be good. The National Hurricane Center announced Monday that Tropical Storm Don has formed in the Atlantic Ocean. It's not Donald, but Don. Hurricane names for the 2017 season were set way back in 2006, so it's only a coincidence that the name is similar to the current occupant of the White House. That won't keep him from going after the National Weather Service, however, if Tropical Storm Don becomes Hurricane Don and wipes out the East Coast. Well, that seems unlikely. The Hurricane Center says so far, Tropical Storm Dawn is small and not particularly well organized. <laughs> they didn't really say that, did they? Yes, they did. Oh, man. What else do you have for us today that is less ironic? In Canada. All gone. Yeah, it's all gone, eh? Just one year after catastrophic wildfires destroyed much of the town of Fort McMurray in Alberta's Tar Sands region, now next door in British Columbia, more than 36,000 people were evacuated on Sunday to escape wildfires driven by heat and high winds that have already destroyed an as-yet-unknown number of homes in and around southern British Columbia. There are now 160 active wildfires in British Columbia alone right now, and wildfires over in Alberta have closed parts of Banff and Kootenay National Parks. Officials are warning it's shaping up to be yet another record wildfire season. And yet they continue to dig that dirty tar sands oil out of Alberta? Yes, they do. And it will soon be heading to the U.S. via the Keystone XL pipeline? Yes, it will. Fantastic. Bloomberg News has obtained a leaked draft of an electric grid reliability study that concludes that the rise of renewable energy does not undermine the reliability of our electric grid. It directly contradicts Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who ordered this study to question whether clean energy policies are unfairly pushing out polluting coal plants. The draft, written by Department of Energy staff concludes renewables pose no threat and, quote, the power system is even more reliable today. The question now is how much of that draft will survive changes made by political appointees. They can still change it before it gets released, but... Thanks to Bloomberg, we now know what the actual scientists think. The Interior Department announced its first offshore oil and gas lease sale, opening up more than 70 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico for offshore drilling. And to sweeten the deal, the Trump administration reduced royalty rates paid by oil and gas companies for fossil fuels extracted from the public's holdings, claiming that reduced royalty rates are needed to encourage drilling at a time of low oil prices and help developers get a better return on their investment. And help screw over over the American taxpayer. But some good news. In the House of Representatives, 46 Republicans bucked their leadership last week and joined with Democrats to defeat an anti-science amendment to the annual defense authorization bill. It would have barred the Defense Department from reporting on the impacts of climate change on military facilities. So that is not barred. The military can still report 
on the menace of the climate crisis. Indeed. Good. Thanks to Republicans. Thank you, Republicans. Finally, in Pennsylvania, an order of Catholic nuns has built an outdoor chapel to block a natural gas pipeline across their land, saying the pipeline is a violation of their long and deeply held religious beliefs and reverence for creation. Pipeline company Williams is suing to use eminent domain to seize land owned by the Sisters of the Adorers of the Blood of Christ to use for the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline in order to export fracked natural gas overseas. In an interview with the broadcast, local Mennonite pastor Melinda Clatterbuck, a co-founder of the group Lancaster Against Pipelines, which has joined the nuns, said they will block them as long as they can. If they gain that land possession, the community of believers are going to be in that chapel prayerfully protesting when Williams tries to take it over. You go, ladies. I want to see the Trump administration take down those nuns in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Then I saw her face. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. And call Independent Underground Radio Live. Hello! 347-934-0185 is your instant invitation to crash the political party. Hello! Be involved. Be passionate. But don't be an abusive dork brain. Aw, shut up, you dumb jerk face. 347-934-0185. Eight five. Call now. Call in now to join in the conversation. Phone lines are now open. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five. We would love to hear from you. So join the conversation. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five. Let's do this. Welcome back to Independent Underground Radio Live. That was a great first hour interview uh, with candidate uh, Siri Tanjar. A chance to listen to that. First of all, so sad on you. But in the same aspect, you can always do it after the show. Now, the best way to do it, I'll let you. Know by downloading our app on Google Play and at the Apple Store. It's the Independent Underground or Radio Network app for $2.99, just $2.99. You can download the app. You get immediate, immediate uh, uh, replay stream, streaming live of our show, including this show, Flagship, uh, Independent Underground or Radio Live with host Monica R.W. You can also get our our shows, Constitutionally Speaking, with a host, Autumn Smith. But here's uh, from uh, noon to one, uh, Penny's Politics with host Penny from 9 to 11 Eastern Standard Time, yeah, PM. And uh, on Saturdays, uh, Third Wave Feminism with host Jenny and Diane at airs 1 to 3 Eastern Standard Time, 12 to 2 Central Standard Time. So make sure you go to Google Play or the 
store and get a, a download a version of our app for just two dollars ninety nine. It's gonna be late. It takes a little bit longer to DMs, but either way, you can also get on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, and we will be up on Spotify too. So that's the other good announcement for tonight is that Independent Underground Radio Live will be up on Spotify real soon. Uh, you can also get us at the Google Play Store by putting in a search for, uh, I'm sorry, Google, not the Google Play Store, the Google Music Store uh, by putting in a search for Independent Underground Radio Live. So there's a lot of ways you can get us, but we would prefer to download a version of our app for $2.99, okay, on Google Play and at the App Store. So with that, I, 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 while... Um, we were on break. I had a chance to look at a tweet uh, that was sent by the real POTUS. Uh, yeah, if you think that Cheeto Trump is it, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> no, he's not. But it was sent by the real POTUS, okay? This is POTUS in exile because POTUS left, unfortunately, we wish we could have him back, on January 20th, uh, 2017 at 11.59 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Lord knows we wish we could have him back. But real POTUS, uh, Barack Obama, sent, it's actually two tweets that he sent. And I'm going to read them both because I think both of them are very important considering uh, the, the news, the recent breaking news um, in regards to uh, Republican Senator John McCain, um, unfortunately having a brain tumor, which is just awful. You know, it's awful. But here's a tweet that he sent on June 20th. Uh, this is June 22nd, June 22nd. Healthcare has always been about something bigger than politics. It is about the character of our country. I want to read that again. Healthcare has always been about something bigger than politics. It is about the character of our country. Now today, real POTUS, Barack Obama, okay, in exile because he had to leave or he had to. We want him back on January 20th, uh, uh, tw- uh, 2017 at 11.59 a.m. in the morning. Every time I think about that, it makes me cry. But either way, this is the tweet that he said today. John McCain is a re- uh, is an American hero, one of, our, one of the bravest fighters I have ever known. Cancer doesn't know what it is up against. Give them hell, John. Now, that's what a real POTUS does. Okay, I just wanted to let you know, I mean, hey, we do have some folks that listen to the show that, that voted for Cheeto Trump. Well, he was threatening people today, okay, threatening Robert Mueller, the guy that's doing the investigation against him and, and uh, uh, with the Russian ties, while he was threatening Jeff Sessions, which I said in the first hour in the lead-in, who put his suit coat down for... Cheeto Trump to walk all over in the campaign. He was the first. Jeff Sessions was the first, first person that I guess you could say that was any politician status that actually put his whole reputation on the line for Cheeto Trump. So I guess he got upset, you know, been upset. He must have been upset because this couldn't just start today. Been upset with Jeff Sessions because he recused himself from the Russian investigation, which is exactly what he should have done, right? And so he, he's pissed, and he was, he was ragging on Sessions. He was ragging on Mueller. Meanwhile, between time, which is, again, unfortunate, John McCain, uh, news broke around at 8 p.m., between 8 and, I think, 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, that John McCain has been diagnosed with brain tumor. 
And so, you know, instead of Tito Trump, the fake president, you know, talking about, well, you know what, maybe I should kind of lead with this. Maybe I should even do, I don't know, a press conference, do something from the Roosevelt Room in the White House, you know, because McCain has been very important, especially to the Republican Party, and you would think that he would want to wish McCain well, and actually trust his story, maybe even if you want to go there, lack of better terms, from the New York Times in regards to how he was threatening uh, Mueller, how he has, he is, threatening Mueller, and really threatening Jeff Sessions, too. He didn't want to trust his story with saying something like, you know, we wish McCain well. No, 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 no. <laughs> that took the real POTUS to do that. And the real POTUS is doing that irregardless on how John McCain might vote on his legacy ACA to, re, you know, retain ACA, to keep it, or like Cheeto Trump want to do, repeal and replace it, and, and really repeal, because he ain't got nothing to replace it with, because he don't even know nothing about health care. That's what, again, going back to the real president, that's what a real president does. As in Barack Obama, again, John, this is a tweet from two hours ago. John McCain is an American hero and is one of the bravest fighters I ever know. Cancer doesn't know what it's against. Give him hell, John. He ain't carrying over no, you know, dirt on his shoulder and a whole bunch of dirt on his shoulder. If he wanted, if it was like a dirt, it would be a pile because this is this is the signature achievement. ACA is Barack Obama's signature achievement. He's not carrying a pile of dirt on his shoulder because John McCain might have, would have voted against, probably would have voted against, more likely than not, would have voted against keeping ACA. He's like, oh, well, you know, since he said he was going to, you know, probably vote against my ACA. Oh, uh, screw John McCain. That ain't what a real POTUS do. You know what I'm saying? Real POTUS will still say, I wish him good wishes. And he codified that even before he ever knew John McCain would have had a brain tumor on June 22nd with health care has been about something bigger than politics. It is about the character of our country, which this POTUS, real POTUS in exile, real POTUS has character. I don't know what that thing in the White House has. I mean, he ain't got it. And then he's threatening. He did this, like today. He threatened um, Dean Heller. Now, Dean Heller is a senator from Colorado. He's up for re-election. Colorado is like a purple, dark purple state, if you want to go there. You know what I'm saying? So he threatened this guy, basically telling him at right, it was at today, during their so-called lunch, I wouldn't eat no lunch at the White House. They're not telling what's up in that food, okay? I'm just being honest. But he threatened Heller, and like, if you don't ride with me in so many words, I'm going to primary you. You know, really? I mean, the guy sitting right next to you, and he patting him on the back at the same time. I mean, he just went off straight up dictator today. I don't know if it's because of the fact that he was sitting next to um, Putin or better yet went and tried to find Putin again at the G20 and sat there and talked to him for an hour without any recording at all from our end. American end, no American translator, no none, none. He's just sitting there like, hey, hey, Putin, can I, you know, shine your shoes? I mean, pretty much. This is who some of these people wasn't me, because I didn't do it. This is who some of the people of America voted for. <laughs> okay. Mm. Now, speaking of when it came to Sessions, New York Times did this interview with Tito Trump, or at least a couple of days ago, and they got him on the record. So I wanted to play this, like, less than a minute worth of uh, sound in regards to what he thinks about, again, Jeff Sessions 
Jeff Sessions, who had his back, his front, his side, even his weave up in his head, because you know that ain't all. You know that's not his hair, okay? If it blows hard enough, that stuff will come right out. I'm telling you right now, it would. Either way, Jeff Sessions had his back, like for real, right? I'm not. I mean, I, trust me, I'm not a fan of just Jeff Sessions. In fact, if you have listened to the show, you know we call him KKK Sessions. But still, if if you got somebody's back though, right? Especially when they was like down low. Nobody knew who Trump was except for some guy on reality TV that basically said he you fired and that he supposedly was rich from New York. That's it. Jeff Sessions was the one who gave him, I don't know, even if you want to say a little bit of clout, which, you know, in my opinion, Jeff Sessions doesn't have a lot of clout, but he gave him at least clout inside of the political world, right, among, I guess, other Republicans. He did that, and then, like, you know, kid you not. This is, this is what Sessions gets from Trump. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Is that a mistake? Well, Sessions should have never recused himself. And if he, would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. He gave you no heads up at all. Zero. Okay. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, gets into the job, recuses himself, I then have, uh, which, which frankly, I think is very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to take it. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. So he recuses himself. I then end up with a second man who's a deputy. down that audio real quick because I got I got a couple more audio clips to pay for you guys today. He was supposed to recuse himself before ever taking the job. If he would have recused himself before taking the job, then I wouldn't have hired Okay, see this is the issue with that, right? How you gonna recuse yourself before you take a job? Okay, it's like you getting hired at right? I'm just saying and like you ever take the job Never gonna taco. Do you think they gonna hire you at Taco Bell? I mean, that's what they make. They make tacos and burritos and enchiladas and refried beans and 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 and, and Spanish rice. You know what I'm saying? And nachos. I mean, if you can't make a taco at Taco Bell, <laughs> you wouldn't be hired. So, so Trump thought. Like Jeff Sessions, right? Again, he's not our friend here at Independent Underground Radio Live or Independent Underground Radio Network. I just want to make that clear as a bird. But he thought that Jeff Sessions was supposed to say, okay, you know what? Let me just recuse myself on an investigation that's not even taking place yet. You know what I'm saying? Because if I do that, that's the only way I'm going to get this job with my you know, guy, I didn't put my coat down and stepped all on my coat and then my head too. You know, uh, Tito Trump. I mean, that, that sounds. Does I have to ask? Does this man make any sense to you? Because he don't to me. I'm talking about Tito Trump again. Next. So if he would have recused himself, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, first of all, he wouldn't have recused himself because he didn't have anything to recuse himself from. 
So then he gets the job, right? And he that he had this meeting with the Russians, right? That wasn't disclosed. I think it's F S F eighty six form, which is like that disclosure form that you have to out for the federal government or whatever. I'm saying, and he went in his hearings and he said that he ain't had no meetings with the Russians, right? The hearings to make him attorney general, probably because Cheeto Trump told him to say, "Hey, you ain't," you, and probably Jeff KK Sessions said that his, you know, didn't want to say this stuff. He ain't have with the Russians, but then it turned out that later on, not that much later, it was known that Jeff KK Sessions had meeting with the Russians too. So what was Jeff? KKK Sessions supposed to do? He was supposed to be accused of stuff because, like, he is the attorney general. So, like, yeah. Right? So he can't investigate himself. That's the point of this. Is that it, it's kind of hard for the attorney general to investigate himself on an investigation that he's a part of. Right? So since he can't investigate himself, he would have to recuse himself after that point. Because before that point, he never said anything that would make him have to recuse himself. It was after he was, you know, nominated and, and, and voted in for attorney general that this all happened. <laughs> and so, like, what is Trump talking about? And then, like, it sounds like he don't like Rosenstein either. You know what I'm saying? He dang sure can't stand Mueller because, you know, he basically said, well, you investigate my fi-. No, Mueller, please investigate his finances. Robert Mueller, FBI guy, please investigate Tito Trump's finances because I'm telling you, when you do that, you're going to find Russia, Russia, Russia all over. You know, I mean, how, who, who does this dude think he is? I mean, he's supposedly supposed to be POTUS. But in the same aspect, which he ain't, but in the same aspect, how you just gonna go around threatening people? Really? This ain't no dictatorship over here. And that's the problem, is that a lot of these folks that voted for Cheeto Trump, number one, they voted, and I'm putting it like this. Look, 50% of the folks that voted for Cheeto Trump were just racist mad at Barack Obama for being black. Okay? The rest of them may have just been, like, not really paying attention, you know, or just real Republican. I don't know if they, I don't even know what a real Republican is anymore, you know. Maybe John McCain, poor guy, hopefully he gets over his brain tumor. But otherwise, I really don't know what a real Republican is anymore. I don't know. Well, Susan Collins, definitely, you know, she's a real Republican who happens to see that Cheeto Trump is, is full of shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she ain't going down like that. <laughs> not on that ACA. So, okay, so it leads me to my next question, right, which I was going to, yeah, this is the next uh, uh, set of sound that I'm going to play you. It's um, basically from uh, um, oh, MSNBC, right, and, and, and it's about has the Republican Party become the Putin Party, right, and, and it's about, give or take about six minutes, so we're going to start that right now. 
But you, it wasn't that long ago that John McCain, who's one of the strongest voices against Vladimir Putin, was the GOP nominee. I remember those days. I've worked on that campaign. Mm -hmm. um, when Mitt Romney was largely mocked for saying that Russia represented our largest geopolitical foe, to now the White House spent much of the day today cleaning up a, a secret meeting or a secret um, time spent with Vladimir Putin, not because there's anything wrong with spending time with the foreign leader, but because there's so many questions about the U.S.-Russia relationship. Um, I wonder, one, if you can just weigh in on how much changed since the 2008 and 2012 cycles with uh, Donald Trump's victory. Yeah, this has been a, a wholesale change, and you say it uh, correctly, wholesale mocked is, is exactly right, including by the President of the United States. You remember that debate? I was there in Florida for that debate, and the President of the United States mocked Mitt Romney for his warning of the, of the threat from Russia. and so. You know, I, I think we've, we've in some ways come full circle, and there is a split in the Republican Party. You see this clearly uh, with those who understand that Russia remains a, a foe uh, under Vladimir Putin. It's a country that's trying to regain its uh, geopolitical status, uh, and it's a, he's a leader that has declared that uh, the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union. And so, uh, you know, this is not a country we can trust. It's a country we likely have to work with. And so. You can't blame any president for trying to work with Russia, uh, but we've got to be very careful as to how we do that. And uh, sort of the lack of concern over what Russia has done and what may, they may continue to do in terms of cyber uh, infiltrations, hacking, not just of U.S. systems but of allied systems, is really problematic as well. So uh, there's a lot of soul-searching to, to go on here, but the, the key is what do we value in terms of our national security, and that is the security of our systems, of, of our electoral, electoral process and the trust in our government. Uh, Russia has tried to undermine that, and unfortunately this whole uh, Russia scandal is undermining trust and confidence in our system. Joy, let me get you to respond to that. I mean, President Obama may have started out wanting a reset or wanting more flexibility, right. but he certainly ended yeah. with some, some pretty um, tough sanctions as, as a punishment for Russia's meddling. Um, he took away those compounds. It's now a Republican president um, who at least reportedly has, has, has received the request from the Russians to give them back. What do you make of just the role? on the question of Russia between the two yeah. parties. It's amazing because, as you, as you said, the Obama administration tried this idea of a reset when Putin was briefly out of the, uh, the Russian presidency. It didn't work. They quickly learned that this, Russia is still Russia, um, and the reset was sort of put aside, and we went back to the sort of traditional posture of the United States. I mean, my old Cold Warrior Reaganite father must be spinning <laughs> in his grave <laughs> to know that the United States, which used to, you know, use Africans, so the, 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 the desire to, to limit the expansion of Russian yeah. spheres of influence led us to support the apartheid government in South Africa right. over Nelson Mandela. Now we, are, we have a Republican Party that not only at its base is becoming Putinite, pro-Putin. You're seeing this, this acceleration. And it's not just the president. I mean, there are, no, voice, no, I mean, there are in loud the voices in conservative yes. media who yes. celebrate Assange. That's right. Who praise just the brute strength right. Right. Of, of Putin. That's right. And for a lot of reasons, the alt-right, you know, for these sort of weird sort of white nationalist reasons that feel he's advancing white, white Christianity, whatever it is, Russia is a is an adversary of the United States, wants to dismantle our influence in Europe, Trump seems to agree. He seems to agree that we should have less influence in Europe, that we should detach ourselves from the NATO alliance, that we should even dismantle our own cybersecurity and make ourselves more vulnerable to Russia, make ourselves more vulnerable to their influence. 
It's shocking to see a Republican president essentially capitulate to almost everything Vladimir Putin could possibly want. The full menu, his Christmas list of what he wants from the United States and wants to do to us. Donald Trump wants to get Hang on, I gotta get you. I can't believe it. I gotta get you the Can you just, I mean, it seems to me that, that Putin is strengthened by the fact that the domestic politics in, in Russia don't, don't roll and rock like ours do. So Putin always wants the same thing, to restore the glory of, of the old days. How is he advanced? by our uh, rough-and-tumble domestic politics. Well, look, that's right. I mean, arguably, the really to elect Donald Trump because no one thought that was possible. The, the goal was to increase <laughs> the, the, the division and uncertainty inside the United States. Well, that's what it's done. Uh, it turns out that even reflexive uh, anti-Russian, anti-Soviet uh, views inside the Republican Party were not a fixed principle of the Republican Party. I'm amazed. There was a recent poll, by the way, that uh, suggested that actually Vladimir Putin was more popular with Republican voters today than Barack Obama. And, you know, that speaks to, you know, the deeply, you know, distorted conversation we've been having about Russia inside the United States. It's not really about Russia, but Vladimir Putin doesn't have the same domestic politics for his foreign policy. Right. And I think Nicole here is absolutely press. right. I mean, they dissidents they poison not the only that but he sees it as a zero-sum game we may not see it that way but Putin has been very clear uh, and Russian foreign policy has been very clear for some time uh, that their goal is to recreate a multipolar as opposed to what they call a unipolar world with the United States being the unipolar world the goal of Vladimir Putin is to seek advantage against the United States wherever possible because they see that as the way to restore Russia to its rightful place as a superpower. And I think what's mystifying to people is that Donald Trump has played right into it. You said they spent the last couple of days cleaning up over this Putin meeting. I don't think they've cleaned anything up successfully. Every time there's a new revelation about Russia, and I expect there to be more, uh, it seems to me we have more questions about Donald Trump. And by the way, what's interesting is their policy questions as well as questions about the president's own conduct and that of his family member and aides, right? These things are converging and they're both questions. Frank, let me give you the last 30 seconds of the program. Where do you think the Republican Party goes from here? I, I don't know, but I think an important point to make is, is other presidents, other administrations have tried for a different kind of relationship with Russia. They've had the desire, the wish for a more constructive relationship. Don Trump is the first one who's drawn a moral equivalence between the United States and Russia. Yes. And the That's fact the that so many Republicans have gone along with that, that is what makes one question. Welcome back. Um, so, like, okay, you know, it's a darn shame. Um, it is. I, I'll admit, I'll say it myself. I'm say it, say it, I'm just going to say it. It's a darn shame that the Republican Party has allowed themselves to get so far in the darn mud with this Cheeto Trump that they have just through any type of morals, values, or even trying to have a, a, a might as well say, uh, what's the word I'm trying to find here? Um, a a clemency of, 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 of standing on characters out the window, right? I mean, I was young during Reagan, okay? I was very young, very young. Very young. Back, I didn't vote for him either time because I wasn't able to vote for him at, in, in either way because you know, teenager, I wouldn't have regardless. But either way, right? You cannot say that the party of Reagan, which is supposed to be the party that these, you know, Republicans are like running to be, like 
you know what I'm saying, would have ever capitulated, uh, 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 stood down, you know, again, took off his suit coat and let Putin walk all over his back. And suit coat, by the way. That, that was not the Republican Party of Reagan. No, it wasn't, right? I mean, it just wasn't. This is the guy, you know, actor slash president slash actor, you know, but at least he could act enough that he, you know, he went and told, what's that, over in Berlin, whatever it is, uh, uh, Gorbachev, tear down this, you know what I'm saying? He, 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 that was, that was that guy, you know, I'm against communism, I'm against, you know, countries that don't believe in democracy, I even got good hair, you know, that's, that's the Republican Party that you, the Republican Party, right? That is not today's Republican Party. You can't even say that the Republican Party of, the day, of today is even the Republican Party of George H.W. Bush, which, uh, again, I admitted this a thousand times over on this show, but I'll admit it again, who I voted for, and I still don't regret that vote. Hey, I was 18, but still, I, I don't regret the vote. I mean, you know, I don't. You know, because it's Republican Party, no, I didn't vote for George W. Bush, no, but either way, it's this Republican Party that you have to scratch your head and be like, what is wrong with y'all? You know, just because a black man, and he's, again, he was mixed, really, I mean, his mother was white, his father was African, uh, but still, he was mixed, you know, what, I mean, because a black man was able to be elected president in 2008. It just drove these people loco, loco, loco. So much to the point that they were willing to take, you know, the bottom of the barrel of hell of a candidate, Donald Trump, and make him their president. There, as the key term for that. And then don't mind that this president is all up in Putin's ass. I mean, that's a, that's that that is so sad. I mean, it, 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 that's just that's just sad. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember if I got a crying bumper or something, but I could have. Yes, yes, it is. I do. It is like ridiculous for the Republican Party. You know, I mean, I, look, I believe. And I know I have a caller from 612. I believe in a two-party system. I think it's good to have checks and balances. But the Republican Party that we have today, we can't, we can't say that's checks and balances. Not in Washington, D.C. anyway. Hey, hell no. Nah. That's the party of Putin. Which, I'll be honest, it's a, it's a, it's a small amount of them. Like, and, and, and good for those small amounts. But, you know, like Susan Collins and, and, and Dean Heller and a couple other ones, maybe Rob Potter. That's like, we can't do this. We just can't be the party of Putin slash Cheeto Trump. We can't. You know? I mean, y'all need to do better. For real, though. I mean, for real. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this caller from 612. Uh, um. Hi, caller from 612. This is Independent on the Ground Radio Live. What's your comment or your question? Yes, uh, good evening, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, the thing I yeah. want to bring up from as a conservative is the issue with the Republicans is it comes down to this. They got the House and the, major- uh, the, House and the Senate back, you know, during over the last couple of years 
on the very promise of repealing Obamacare. And the reason they did, and this is something people need to understand, is we understand that there was, you know, whatever, it could be 12, 20 million, whatever number you want to point to, of people who were uninsured. And those people should uh-huh. be taken care of, but we all agree on that. What happened is, is that the 87% of Americans that did have health insurance got negatively affected by Obamacare. And a lot of it had to do with taking away the choice of what health care plans you could have. And we all know about the fact that premiums and deductibles have gone way up. So that doesn't even be Hold up. Wait, 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 wait. Right. I got to stop you right there. Did those yeah. Americans that, that, that premiums went up, right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's go with the ones that actually got health care and the ones that were on more like a catastrophic plans. Did they really, right. really have a choice on health care? Because if, if your only choice was a catastrophic plan, and you got diagnosed with cancer, you know, you, you pretty much was AF, uh, a, you know, AWOL. You were, you were out there. You know what I'm saying? It's like you were going down the stream and getting ready to go over the cliff. You know, so I don't know if they really had a choice because in a lot of cases, pre-existing conditions said you could only get certain plans anyway. So, but go ahead. Right. So the point of the matter is that's, let's just be clear, that's how the Republicans won. I mean, let's be honest. They, mm-hmm. they got the Senate and the House based on that and based on the anger across America when it came to Obamacare because a lot of people didn't like it. I mean, this simply came down to people didn't like the mandate. People didn't like the idea of having a penalty associated with it if you didn't purchase a health care plan. And one of the key elements of the system, and as you well know, was the idea that a lot of younger, healthy people would buy uh, health care plans to help uh, you know cover and offset the cost for you know elderly or people who would you know, who may be ill that needed to use their health care uh, plans and actually need to actually, you know, have to receive health care. And the problem uh-huh. was is that the young people just simply, and the, and the healthier people, didn't, they just didn't do it. And we all know that's part of what's wrong with the system. But what conservatives understood was they knew that this system was designed to fail because Obamacare was nothing more than a bridge to single-payer health care. We all know that. Uh-huh. And the Democrats uh-huh. know that. And I'm uh-huh. sure as a progressive, you would, that's what you would want, and I don't blame you. That's because yeah. either it's, it's better off to either go full blown single payer or have a free market system. This this right. in between thing we got now, where the government has forty percent of the health care, is screwed up because what ends up happening is it, it the, the free market and the government system is like oil and water. They don't they don't mix well together. You either have to off all one way or the other because what happens is the government's involvement has raised the cost. Why? And if those of you who ever read Milton Friedman's writings, especially in regards to economics, uh-huh. the, the government, whenever they take over something, that's the worst possible scenario. What I mean by that is this. Uh-huh. Is when you have a scenario where you have a third-party person who's paying for someone else using somebody else's money, what ends up happening? Quality goes down and costs go up. It always happens. Yeah, but see, scenario. this is yeah. this is where I have to. But we have been on a non-right government-funded uh, uh, healthcare system up until 2000, actually 10, because even after it was passed, right. it wasn't in effect until 2010. And quality of care in the United States for a lot of people, it may seem like it was going up. But in the same aspect, you, you have to argue that because the mortality rates were still basically not that great. So, I mean, and the costs were still going up. I mean, if you go before ACA and you go pretty much in, in, uh, from 2000 till about, honestly, 2008, the cost of health care under the free market 
went up about 150%, and it was no government into that except for, like, Medicare and Medicaid. So, I mean, you see what I'm saying? That I don't see where right. I, I don't see where see, the free market works with health care. I just don't. You just brought up a key point there that's really important to emphasize. You just said it perfectly. Health care costs went up 150%. And you pointed out, you said, well, there was no government involvement with the exception of what? Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare and Medicaid, yes. Yeah. Right. Now, what's important about this? This is something that a lot of people need to focus in on. This is something that was big for me that I really, when I really studied the issue, that was really fascinating. The number one point in that that stands out is when it came to costs for elderly people, healthcare costs, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember, there was the high, the, uh, there was an understanding that the, the elderly people or people, you know, senior citizens, their health care costs are usually three times more uh, than it is for, say, a younger or a healthier person. This, was, this is what we were told by that. The reality is it's actually five times more. Now, what ended up happening was when Medicare and Medicaid got involved, when they were covering these costs, they were having it so that they would be charging prices at that three times more point, not the real, which is five times more points. What ended up happening? The market had to readjust. So to offset the cost, the elderly, the rest of the market had to adjust, which is what caused the rise in premiums across the board. That's where the 100% rise. I don't is. know about that. Now, I yes, know, I, I, I don't know about that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because healthcare companies, just like most businesses, are also in the business of making a profit, which, you know, the profit is basically the human at that point. But either way, it, it's still a profit. And the only way that you can satisfy the, the the expectations of your shareholders is if you increase the cost. I mean, the shareholders are not going to be happy if you keep the cost at a dollar the whole time that you have a business. You know what I'm saying? They expect that dollar to be going up to $10 and $20. You know, and then you also have to put into that is that you also have the uninsured, right, which was another factor. You talk about old people, but I'm going to talk about the uninsured. The uninsured going into ER for basic health care and those hospitals pretty much eating those costs and it coming right back inside of the cost of coming into the hospital and actually having an elective surgery. So, you know, it, this, this is why I, I, I don't really get the conservative argument in regards to why it is that health care is something that can be played with with the free market. Now, what I do believe is that if there's going to be any type of health care program. It has to be stringent cost controls in there. And if that means that some of these health care uh, companies go under, so be it. You know, but stringent cost controls, if it's a government-sponsored program, in order to make sure that we as American citizens are getting the best bang for our buck. Right, but again, health care is not free in the sense that we're not talking about, you know, this artificial thing. We're talking about people, professionals, yes, like doctors are. versus pharmaceutical companies that are providing a service, which is mm-hmm. which is not a cheap thing. I mean, let's be clear. When it comes to, you know, being a doctor, how much about but to the point about the idea of why why conservatives don't want the government to get involved because if if we get the single payer, which is what this is gonna lead us to, I'm be all, I'm be straight here. We're about mm-hmm. let's say five, ten years maximum away from a single payer healthcare system. The problem is what conservatives don't want we don't like the idea of the government having control of one sixth of the economy, number one. Number two Okay. We, we know that there's a consistent track record of whenever the government takes control of something, that the point I brought to you earlier is that when you have a third-party individual who's paying for something with someone else's money and is buying something for somebody else, 
what happens? The quality of the product goes down and the costs go up because, for example, if you're buying something for yourself Mm -hmm. with your own money, you're going to look out for your best interest and and how much money you spend. You're going to have that Mm -hmm. double influence on your behavior. Whereas if you're buying something for, say, somebody else with not your own money, now you might not care as much. You may not care as much about the quality of what you're purchasing, and you may not care about how much you're spending because it's not your money anyway. And that comes See, and on to the key point. Yeah. Ahead, I get your ahead. point there. And that's why it is, in my opinion, that stringent controls need to be put into place, basically, even if you want to go in incentivizing people. Incentivizing people in order to put themselves inside of preventative care, number one, and basically if you want to de-incentivize people that decide to wait to go to the doctor until, you know, I don't know, until the end of time, and then it's a high cost. But you also have to incentivize the companies uh, or whoever is going to be getting paid in these companies uh, by the government in order to help incentivize health care, too. You know, and, 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 right. and I believe it should be a stringent financial accounting. I believe we should know as citizens what it is that you know, what, what we're getting out of outcomes. It should be very clear to each and every citizen that pays into the system of whatever the uh, single uh, government health care would look like. But right now, the way that the system is now, and even if ACA never came into place, like if it never did, the way the system is now, even if ACA would have came in the eight, uh, never came to place, it's unsustainable. Something has to be done in order to fix it. ACA right. at it, this current point is unsustainable, and pre-ACA yeah. it was unsustainable. Right, and the, the idea I would suggest, for example, and this is something that I've heard many conservatives uh, can, to talk about and, and, and put out there, is that to adopt a completely free market system and have mm. everybody below the poverty limit, which you can you can raise the poverty limit from say what is that now? I believe is around twenty four thousand a year. Let's say raise it to fifty thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Per individual, okay. And then what we would do is allow these individuals to purchase a health care plan of their choice, as long as it's within range of whatever their needs are, depending on if we, we would take into account whether they're children or disability, whatever. We can review mm-hmm. that and have the government give them a direct voucher and literally mm-hmm. purchase their health care straight up. And what we could do mm-hmm. along with that, in the regards of pre-existing conditions, is mm-hmm. create a separate pool altogether, and within that have an evaluation system to determine the severity of the pre-existing condition. Meaning by that, put in a mechanism to keep it from mm-hmm. being abused, right? Because we know you this, comes, this is something that can very easily be taken advantage of by people that are just trying to game the system. So if okay, I got to flip that around, though. I believe okay. it would be yeah. taken advantage of, in my opinion, by the healthcare companies who are trying to lessen their costs in order to satisfy their shareholders. Which I understand as a business person, I get, I get, right. I get why they're doing it. I just don't agree with it when it comes to healthcare. That's that's where that's where it right. falls down with me. Now I have another. Well, I only have another thirty seconds, so I'll let you make your point. Okay, I'll make it real quick. Yep. Okay, but but the biggest thing above all this, because all of this is really. Uh, roots and not the actual core root thing that really we're coming down to, I and mean, this is something we don't acknowledge, is that we just mm-hmm. we don't have the money, number one. Okay, We're mm-hmm. already in massive, we already know we have more than $20 trillion of debt, we have more than $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities that we're on the hook for currently. And along with that, we're running deficit consistently. Now, our government every year, as of 2015, our government in tax revenue got more than $3 trillion 
That's three trillion dollars uh-huh. that they took from American citizens. Specifically in the regards of income tax, they got more than one point, I believe it was one point one trillion in income uh-huh. tax money directly from individuals. Now, I would say I would ask, and this is what I hear from progressives, is well we need well then we'll just need to take more money. And my question is, is there any point, any limit to how much tax revenue that this federal government can take from the citizens? Or is there an unlimited amount of money that you guys feel they can take? Like, is the cutoff point $4 trillion? Is it $5 trillion? Is it $10 trillion? I mean, what, what, what end do we say, okay, that's enough money you're taking. You've now got uh-huh. to bring your cost within either the same amount you're taking in or below that. You, at what point do we say, okay, people, we don't have an unlimited credit card, you know? And that's what I really want to know. I'm fascinated to hear your view and any progressive about this issue. Okay, well, tune in next week because I'm telling you, okay. I will get straight to that point. Tune in next week. Um, we will Great. definitely talk about that. Feel free to call in, and I appreciate your point of view, and thank you for calling in to Independent Underground Radio Live. We appreciate you. All right, thank you, man. Have a good night. Yep, have a good day. All right, well, again, we it is the end of the day show. Uh, we really appreciated the first hour interview with Siri uh, Tundra. Again, candidate for Michigan's governor, a Democratic candidate trying to make it through the Michigan governor primary, Florida Democrat. Uh, and always make sure that you continue to tune in to Independent Underground Radio Live uh, again on Friday, constitutionally speaking, with Autumn Smith. Uh, that is at noon Eastern Standard Time and Third Ways of Feminism with. Jenny and Diane that comes on 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 12 o'clock Central Time. Uh, that is Independent Underground Radio Network. And make sure you tune in next Tuesday uh, for and with Kenny Sequoia at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You can always follow us on Twitter at IU Radio Network on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And remember to download a version of our app at the Google Play or Apple Store by just putting in a search for Independent Underground or Radio Network app at Google Play. And at the Apple Store for two ninety nine, you can support our network and you can support our host. That's it. $2.99. That's not much to ask. So either way, look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, make sure that you don't forget to tune in to Constitution Speaking on that, uh, Friday at 1 o'clock and Third Wave Feminism on Saturday at 1 o'clock Central, uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Central. Have a great night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.